Welcome to Volley Takes, where we talk and give our takes on all things volleyball, news, and culture. My name is Abby, and if you're obsessed with the volleyball world like I am, you'll definitely want to tune in. So, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Volley Takes. I'm your host, Abby, and for this week's episode, we're going to break down the battle between two historic volleyball dynasties, and no, Nebraska is not one of these. Um, But before we get into that, let's take a look at some volley news. Okay, so I've been doing a better job at keeping up with match recaps on my TikTok, so be sure to check those out on there because I go through a lot more match recaps there than on here, but I'll go through um, a few uh, that are a little more recent. Uh, So Auburn versus Arkansas. So Arkansas swept Auburn and what's wild is that the third set was 25 to 6, Um, which you don't really see that that often in college volleyball. So that was really interesting. And I actually expected this one to be a closer match just because of how scrappy Auburn has been. And they, I mean, I think with what they were ranked at the time, it was supposed to be a much closer match than it was. And it was in the first two sets, but the third set being 25 to six, like, uh, come on. Um, And what's wild about that third set is that there weren't that many attacking mistakes on Auburn's part compared to the other two sets. So Auburn did end up hitting in the negatives for the match, but in the match that they lost 25-6, I felt like it was just a lot of Razorback points. Like, every single hitter was getting kills in that third set. Like, it wasn't just Gillen and Head. In fact, I think Jillian Gillen was in the back row for the majority of that set like I know she started serving she normally starts serving and she went on a huge run so yeah that was really wild Arkansas hit a 435 for the match and Auburn hit in the negatives so next match Wisconsin versus Ohio State um this one also ended in a sweep. Uh, Wisconsin swept. And Sarah Franklin popped off, as always, uh, hitting a 429. And then Anna Smarek hit a 538. Honestly, why not Anna Smarek for player of the year? Uh, come on. Um, and then Ohio State, I mean, the only player that could do much for them was Lon Dot, And that's sort of been the theme all season. I mean, Riley Raider contributes some in blocking and some in the offense, but Ohio State is just a very young team, and this is definitely a rebuilding year for them after losing Mac Pedraza and Gabby Gonzalez and Kylie Murr. So this is, yeah, definitely a rebuilding year, and Londa is sort of the main character on their team. <laughs> so, um, and then... Florida versus Texas A&M. So Texas A&M upset Florida in five sets at Florida. And I happened to not go to this game because I don't know. I, I don't even remember what I was doing that night. Um, but yeah, they upset Florida. Uh, of course, it went five sets again. Florida has been going five sets for the past like t- feels like 10 matches. But 
Logan Lednicki uh, for Texas A&M. She's a literal stud. Uh, she had 20, 22 kills and six blocks. And then Afena Casapala. Um, she had herself a night. Where was NCAA volleyball on giving her a shout out for the have a night or have a day or whatever they whatever they do on their Instagram? She had hear me out. Twelve kills, zero errors on sixteen attempts. Like, come on, like that is insane. Along with seven blocks. So yeah, she popped off. Um, uh, Florida, like I said, has gone to five several matches in a row and they've been able to pull out most of them um against Auburn and Georgia and a lot of the times I was like oh man like they're gonna lose like it's really what it felt like and they just somehow pulled it out but they could not fend off the Aggies this time um I'm pretty sure it was the first time that Texas A&M had has ever beaten Florida in Florida's arena so that's pretty that's pretty historic for Texas A&M Kennedy Martin led the Gators with 16 kills. No surprise there. And then AC Fitzpatrick, she's been stepping it up on the offense since Stucky's injury. She had 15 kills. Um, Yeah, the SEC is getting crazy. And I think they're a very underrated conference. So getting so much more talented every single year. And then with Texas and Oklahoma joining next year and Vanderbilt starting a program, I mean, it's only going to go up from here. So... Um, and you know, want to know another conference that is stepping up the game is the big 12. <laughs> so, um, my last match recap, uh, Texas versus BYU, their doubleheader at Texas, Texas ended up winning both of the matches in four sets. Maddie Skinner led the way in both of those, uh, matches. I'm pretty sure she led in digs too, in both of the matches as well. I mean, they were just like, trying to keep everything away from the libero. So um, BYU looks really hot this season. Was not expecting them to pop off like they have been. Um, But I also think Texas is starting to figure their stuff out, I guess. Um, Obviously, they had a rocky start to the season, but um, they pulled out both of these matches. And BYU um, is very talented. So these matches, the two matches here, I mean, they were honestly really great. I enjoyed watching both of them. Um, great matches to watch. Would love to see this matchup again, um, hopefully in the NCAA tournament. Um, so matches ahead. Um, let's think. So um, I'm recording this um, Saturday, September 30th. So cannot recap any of the matches on tonight or tomorrow, but um, going into next week, which Wednesday, um, Florida State versus Miami. This is obviously a pretty big rivalry in the ACC. I would also like to make a note that the ACC is now posting um, some, some of their full matches on YouTube. So you don't even have to have the ACC digital network or whatever. You can watch them on YouTube. So that's pretty awesome. They also post kind of highlights as well. So shout out to the ACC. Okay. Um, and then Thursday and Friday, uh, Texas versus Kansas doubleheader. Um, that will be really fun. I love, uh, Cameron Turner, uh, setter for Kansas. So that, yeah, that'll be a pretty good doubleheader as well for the big 12. Um, on Friday, Florida plays Auburn. Um, I really wouldn't have put this one had the last match not been close. So, um, if you guys don't know, Florida beat Auburn in five sets. Duh. 
1715 in the fifth, I believe. So um, the Auburn coach also, I want to say the Auburn coach got red carded. Did anyone else watch the match? Comment, comment if you're on Spotify, comment. I, I think the Auburn coach got a red card, but I may have been going nuts at that point. But anyways, um, and then also on Friday, Minnesota versus Maryland. That should be a pretty good matchup. Maryland um, has had a pretty good start to the season. Um, so yeah, that should be pretty good. They swept Michigan, like no problem. Uh, so, and then Saturday we have Pitt versus Georgia Tech. That'll be a really good match. Um, I will, I will be watching that. That is going to be an incredible match in my opinion, but watch, it's going to end up being a sweep and it's not going to be a good match, but I think it's going to be a good match. And then also Ohio State versus Penn State. I think they're on the same boat in the Big Ten, so um, it'll be a good match for them to see where they place um, in the Big Ten. So yeah, I think that'll be a pretty good matchup as well. So yeah, those are my uh, match recaps and matches to look forward to uh, this week. So another piece of volleyball news, I'm sort of making, like, I'm making it news. (laughs) That sounds so weird, but... Um, there's a, a page, well, he has a website, but he also has an Instagram and Twitter. Um, his name is Chad Gordon, but he goes by Volley Dork, and basically he has this whole sort of system on how he ranks players, and it is so complex, and I'd actually love to have him on the podcast to explain it, but I'm gonna try to explain it as best as I can. But he just came out with his, I guess, quote unquote, way too early rankings for um, top uh, positional players. So I'm going to go through uh, some of those. So I'm going to start with the most underrated volleyball position. Um, uh, Kind of being biased here. Top liberos. Okay. So the way that he does these rankings, he uses sort of a statistic called expected value, which I'm going to say in short terms, expected value is the likelihood to win the point given the circumstances. So um, whether that is in receive, attacking, uh, blocking, um, things like that. So he rank, rates, ranks it rates it off of the expected value. So uh, the efficiency versus the expected value. So sorry if this is really confusing, but... Okay, so the top five, um, um, he does like top like 25 or something like that. But I'm going to give the top five. So number one is Emmy Klicka at Pitt. Number two is Lexi Rodriguez at Nebraska. Three is Andalyn Simpkins at Western Michigan. Number four is Ramsey Gary at Indiana. And number five is Caroline at BN at Kansas. So um, not surprised at all to see Lexi Rodriguez in the top five. Um, he does note that uh, rating liberos is pretty hard because it's so tricky to measure because there's, you know, scrappy liberos who touch a ton of attacks um, and then, like, without hitting them would be, like, a digging error. Um, that's sort of how he explains it. But anyways, I'm happy to see Emmy Klicka getting the attention she deserves. Same with Ramsey Gary. Um, she's definitely... I would say one of the top freshman liberos in the country. Um, Honestly, she's up there with top liberos in the country. Um, I mean, according to this list, she is. And I I personally think so as well. So 
Yes, love that. And then another note I'd like to add is that Maddie Bilinovic and Jillian Grimes have been taking turns at Libero this year for Penn State, and they're both in the top 15, which I think that's pretty amazing. Maddie is ranked number eight and Jillian is number 11. So um, shout out to Penn State for just killing it in uh, defense. So um, I actually don't know um, which libero is getting more playing time. I know at the beginning of the season they were switching out in libero, but um, they're both really talented uh, players. Um, So just to go over, I'm looking at it right now. So um, half of it is based on reception and half of it is based on defense. So there's percentage of team reception, uh, receive error percentage, and then the expected side out, uh, percentage and then the actual, uh, side out percentage. So, um, and then they also go into percentage of team, uh, defense touches, expected attack, attacker efficiency and actual, attacker efficiency so really confusing statistics but um it was really interesting to see that uh Jillian Grimes at uh Penn State she gets 31% of the team's uh receptions so insert receive that's pretty wild and then in the percentage of team touches in defense uh Andalyn Simpkins has 31% quite a few of them have 31% actually Ramsey Gary has 30% so Um, Really awesome uh, statistics. So, okay, I'm going to move on to the next uh, ranking, which is best servers so far. Um, So number one is Casey Evans at Georgia. Number two is Audra Wilms at Washington. Did I say that right? I think so. Uh, Number three is Mia Schaefer at LMU. Number four is Jalen Swain at Michigan State. And number five is Taylor Head at Arkansas. Um, I would just like to say, and um, this has been a debate, um, of which, like, which position typically has the best servers. And everyone's like, oh, the setter is always the best server on the team. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, can we talk about how three, oh, wait, hold on. Three out of the top five on this list are outside hitters. Okay. So this proves my point that the best servers on teams are typically one of the outsides and not one of the setters. Now it's not always, but that's my opinion. Um, hot take maybe probably. In fact, what's even more interesting is that the majority of the players in the top 25 are libero slash DSs. So I think, yeah, the littles tend to have really good serves as well. So, um, And then the way that he ranks these is um, the opponent's passer rating. That's uh, pretty huge. Um, The ace percentage and the error percentage as well. So um, Cameron Hayworth is also on there. She has a killer topspin serve, but her percentage of errors is higher. Um, With doing a topspin serve comes more errors. Um, But she has like an incredible ace percentage. Her ace percentage is 15.5%. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. And then he also ranks efficiency and expected value of like whether the team score, like the opponent scores. So that's really, really interesting because you may not get a lot of aces, but if you're 
um, getting the other side out of system, that is just as important, which he also ranks that um, when it comes to hitter efficiency as well. So, um, and we'll go into that as, as well. So, okay, top opposite hitters. Um, this one was honestly probably the least surprising one, but number one is Marta Levinska at Arizona State. Number two is Kennedy Martin at Florida. Number three is Anna Smirak at Wisconsin. Number four is Kendall Kipp at Stanford. And number five is Olivia Babcock at Pitts. So the only surprise here is maybe Marta, but she carries an extremely heavy workload for Arizona State. So she's a big um, component for them. And don't worry, everyone. Devin Robinson is right below Babcock at number six. So it's super cool to see that both of Wisconsin's opposite hitters are in the top 10. Um, and then Merritt Beeson is at number eight, too. So yeah, um, he ranks this based off of 10% serve, 50% attack, 40% block. Um, and then if they don't serve, it's a 55% attack and a 45% block. Yep. It's also interesting that he doesn't base it off a of defense, but I guess most opposite hitters don't uh, play defense. But what's interesting is that Kendall and Kennedy Martin do, I think. Um, but yeah, it is really cool that um, he bases the efficiency based on the expected in the attack. So basically, just because someone may have a lower hitting percentage, um, if they're able to get the other team out of system to where they have to send a free ball, like he keeps that in mind, which I think is so amazing because that was kind of me in college. Like I wouldn't be the one that would bang the ball straight down, but I would like hit it to the setter a lot, get them out of system. So it's really cool that, um, he rates it off of that. So, okay. Um, top middle blockers. Number one is Andy Jackson at Nebraska. Number two is Kara Cressy at Louisville. Number three is Taylor Trammell at Penn State. Number four is Kara McGee at Oregon. And number five is Layla Blackwell at San Diego. Um, this is just a solid list of middle blockers right here. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, really. Um, not surprised to see Andy Jackson there. Super cool to see her there as a freshman. Um, yeah, I would take... Like, if I was doing a, a fantasy team, I'd probably take any of these middle blockers. They are literal studs. Um, he weights this off of 25% serve, 25% attack, 50% block, or if they don't serve, oh gosh, 37.5% attack and 62.5% block. Um, and another note I like to add is that all of these statistics are adjusted for the opponent, so they're... Um, there's some people in the comments that are like, um, well, players from this specific team, they're not on these rankings because they play tougher teams. And no, no, like, no. He bases it off of uh, the opponents as well. He takes that in mind. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, solid list of middle blockers. And then, okay, last ranking, which is uh, top outside hitters kept them for last because they'll get a lot of the glory in volleyball um okay number one okay before I get into it hold on <laughs> hold on one second I'm gonna give you a warning like you are probably gonna be shook when you hear these I was shook 
I was shooketh, okay? Um, so, warning. Number one, Katie Baird at Stanford. Number two, Jillian Gillen at Arkansas. Number three, Jelly Sire at Arizona State. Number four, Mimi Collier at Oregon. And number five, Emily Londot at Ohio State. Okay, major shout out to Jillian and Jelly for being so undersized, but making the top of this list. And the major role in this for the two of them is the efficiency versus the expected. So their numbers are super high in this. Um, Jillian in attacking and Jelly in serve receive. So they just tend to make it work in tough situations. So, um, you know, if it's a really hard serve that's going to Jelly and she gets it straight up, like number three pass, that's taking into account that like the average player wouldn't pass it as well as she did. And same with Jillian in attacking. Jillian gets so many kills out of the back row, super out of system, like super crazy plays. She just like jumps up and hits it and gets a kill. So um, yeah, just making it work in tough situations. Um, The weight on this one is 15% serve, 25% receive, 45% attack, and 15% block. So yeah, I guess... These outsides have to be able to serve-receive or be in serve-receive for them to be considered for this. But but yeah, I just thought that these statistics were pretty cool. And um, I don't think there's one for setter yet, but ranking setters is really, really hard. But um, yeah, so that is all the volleyball news that I have for this week. So let's move on to the main topic, which is the battle of the two big historic volleyball dynasties. All right, so on to the main topic of this week's podcast, which revolves around the two greatest volleyball dynasties in NCAA volleyball history, or at least recent history. And a lot of people sort of see the big four as Texas, Stanford, Penn State, and Nebraska, but definitely the two that reign sort of the highest is Penn State and Stanford. So Stanford, I believe, has the most national titles at nine, and Penn State has the second most at seven. So, um, and the sort of the two eras that I'm going to be discussing is Penn State's run from 2007 to 2010 and Stanford's run from 2016 to 2019. So, um, yeah. So Penn State's run from 2007 to 2010, um, they not only claimed four consecutive national titles, which has never been done ever, But they also achieved a remarkable feat of going undefeated at home for all four years. I can say this right now. I don't know when this will ever happen again. Um, It's just, it's crazy to think that they, for all four years that they won the national championship in that run, they went completely undefeated at home. They actually went undefeated, I think, like two of the seasons, either one or two of the seasons. And this roster sort of had... A whole bunch of talent. I mean, they had Alicia Glass, Megan Hodge, Nicole Fawcett. That was sort of the uh, first sort of like the first two years. And then, um, of course, in 2010, the team welcomed uh, Deja McClendon and Ariel Scott, 
who made an immediate impact on the 2010 team um, and also made an impact um, when Penn State won in 2013. So yes, they were just absolutely like, I just remember growing up and uh, starting to play volleyball. Penn State was like everyone's dream. Like it was like the like Dallas Cowboys of American football. It was like the like volleyball team that everybody um, watched at the time. And really, I mean, it was Penn State and everyone else. Um, which I think won't ever really happen again just because volleyball is becoming a lot more competitive. But they were just incredible. Um, And I'm going to go into some statistics in a little bit um, regarding both them and Stanford. But if we fast forward nearly a decade later, um, another volleyball powerhouse emerged between 2016 and 2019, which was Stanford. Now, you're probably going to say, you know, Stanford didn't win all four years like Penn State did. And although they did fall short um, of the title in 2017, they completely dominated the Pac-12 conference and they actually went undefeated at home for two seasons. So that's pretty um, amazing. Um, And what's sort of different between Stanford's uh, run during that time in Penn State's was that Penn State's sort of, I guess, starting lineup changed every single year, like a lot. Um, Whereas Stanford's was pretty much the same. I wish I could find the stats. Penn State doesn't have their stats from 2007-2010, but I'm just going to go through the starting lineup for Stanford's every single year. So the 2016 lineup was for the outsides. It was Catherine Plummer and Ivana Von Jock. Van Jock? Von Jock? <laughs> um, uh, and then Haley Hodson briefly before um, she was injured. And then middle blockers were Inky Ajanaku and Adriana Fitzmorris. Uh, the setter was Jenna Gray. I believe they briefly ran a 6-2 with Kelsey Humphreys as well that year. The opposite hitter was Miranda Lutz, um, and then Plummer briefly played opposite when they ran the 6-2, and then the libero was Morgan Hentz. Um, So that was sort of the lineup in 2016. And then 2017, the two outsides were Catherine Plummer and Megan McClure. Uh, the two middles were Tammy Alade and Adriana Fitzmorris. The setter was Jenna Gray. The opposite was Moretta Lutz. And then the libero was Morgan Hentz. And then Kate Formico was a DS. And then 2018, it was Catherine Plummer and Megan McClure again outside. Um, and then the middle blocker was, middle blockers were Tammy Alade and Holly Campbell. Setter was Jenna Gray. Opposite was Adriana Fitzmorris. She moved over to the right side. And then the libero was Morgan Hentz and Kate Formico at DS. And then 2019, (laughs) it was Catherine Plummer and Megan McClure again. Um, And then briefly, Kendall Kipp when uh, Plummer was hurt. Uh, She was injured for quite a bit of the regular season that year. And then the middle blockers were Madeline Gates and Holly Campbell. Setter was Jenna Gray. Opposite was Adriana Fitzmorris. And then libero was Morgan Hentz and Kate Formico at DS. So literally, like... Their entire team was essentially the same every year. You know, that that class with Catherine Plummer, Jenna Gray, Morgan Hens, and Adriana Fitzmorris, I think they're sort of just that core four that will be remembered forever in terms of Stanford volleyball. 
And that's kind of where they're sort of different than Penn State, is that Penn State's lineup changed a lot um, during their time. So. So now the question sort of arises, which is which team was truly superior? You know, like which team was better? You know, they're, they're, the question arises of, first of all, which team was better? And second of all, which team was like more successful? And like which dynasty it was the biggest dynasty in or is the biggest dynasty in volleyball history? Um, so... I'm going to go through their statistics, and I pulled this. I made a post on Penn State versus Stanford, I think, over a year ago um, because I thought it was just super wild. So, uh, yes, Penn State, four national championships, two ABCA Player of the Year awards, undefeated at home all four seasons, and then notable players, Megan Hodge, Alicia Glass, Deja McClendon, Nicole Fawcett, Blair Brown. Blair Brown. (laughs) Um, their record in 2007 was 34 and two, and then in 2008 and 2009 they went 38 and 0, <laughs> did not lose a single match, and then 2010 they went 32 and five, and then Stanford they won three national championships, two ABCA Player of the Year awards, undefeated at home for two seasons, notable players Catherine Plummer, Jenna Gray, Adriana Fitzmorris, Morgan Hens, and Ingi Ajanaku. Um, their 2016 record was 27 and 7, which is really interesting because 2016 they really weren't they weren't like the favorite. Um, it wasn't until like they sort of popped off and then people realized, oh, they're gonna have like the exact same team next year and the next year and the next year that people started to pay attention to Stanford. Um, 2017 they went 30 and 4. 2018 they went 34 and 1. I remember that year. I think <clears throat> their one loss was to BYU. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. And then 2019 they went 30 and 4. So, yeah. And that's pretty wild that they went 30 and 4 despite not having Katherine Plummer for um half of the year. So, um all right. So, yeah. Now we're going to compare the season statistics. So, I took uh out of Stanford's four years, 2016 and 2019, and then Penn State, I only did 2008 to 2010 because in 2007, matches were still being played to 30 points instead of 25, so it kind of messes up the statistics, but I took the average of all of those years, um, the team's hitting percentage, kills per set, blocks per set, digs per set, aces per set, and assists per set, so you're going to be blown away by how close all of these were, so Penn State had a bigger hitting percent or um, higher hitting percentage. They hit a 0.358 or 35%. Stanford hit a 303. So still, I mean, both of those hitting percentages are wild. Um, that's a amazing hitting percentage. Uh, kills per set, Penn State had 14.6 and Stanford had 14.5. Like, come on, like that is so close. And then Penn State had 3.1 blocks per set and Stanford had 3.2. <laughs> Again, really, really close. Uh, Penn State had 13.2 digs per set and Stanford had 14 digs per set. And then Penn State had 1.3 aces per set, and Stanford also had 1.3 aces per set, so they were literally tied for that, which is wild. And then assist per set, Penn State had 13.6, and Stanford had 13.7, so super close, and rightfully so, two amazing programs um, in their eras. There's, I mean, even today, they're the top teams in the country, really, so, um, so yeah, I would say 
if I had to pick, I would probably pick Penn State's offense and Stanford's defense if I had to make like a mega team. Um, I think Penn State just sort of dominated on the offense. Like, I mean, hitting the 35% is insane. Um, but I mean, Morgan Hens, who wouldn't take Morgan Hens as their libero? Like, she is literally awesome. So, um, and then another sort of thing to think about is like how volleyball has evolved from like 20 or 2007 to 2019 um you know like the sport has witnessed a huge surge in popularity which brings more talent and it raises the level of competition in college volleyball um so it makes it sort of more challenging for any team to sort of replicate the dominance that Penn State had um, I don't think what Penn State did will ever happen again. I mean, it could, but I think volleyball is just way too competitive now. Um, and especially this year, I feel like is the first year. I mean, we're seeing, you know, teams of such a small caliber historically beating these historically um, unstoppable teams. So I think in the end, the notion of which dynasty was better becomes sort of subjective because it depends on what you're sort of uh, evaluating and your sort of preference and perspective. Um, I think each team sort of showcased their unique strengths um, and we're both just left a mark in college volleyball history. So... Yeah, it's really, really interesting because they those are definitely the two. Um, Nebraska, like, definitely has, has historically been really, really good. But in terms of pulling out the natty, they haven't since 2017. And obviously Penn State hasn't since 2014. But um, we haven't seen a team that has dominated like Penn State did four years in a row. <laughs> um, um, and another note that I could add is that uh, Stanford also went on a run in, like, the mid-90s. Yeah, the mid-1990s. Um, they went on a huge run as well, winning three national championships in four years, similar to what they did between 2016 and 2019. But, um, yeah, those are definitely the big two. And then Wisconsin is obviously with their first-ever national championship. Um, they've always been historically good as well Texas obviously so a lot of amazing um volleyball schools put UCLA in there um but Penn State and Stanford I mean no one can touch what they did in volleyball historically so yeah so um now we are going to move on to the volley take section all right so I only have one volley take for this week I don't even think I had one last week, so, um, you know, we're stepping up the game a little bit, but this one comes, it was in my little Google form that I made, um, it's, uh, her name is Kaylee, she is from Ohio, <laughs> and her volleyball hot take is actually kind of a question, she sort of, yeah, she asked, why do I feel like the Big Ten Volleyball Instagram page is looking like a Nebraska Volleyball fan page. And when I saw this, I was like, 
what? Like, I'm so confused. But when I looked at the Big Ten Volleyball Instagram page, there were literally like 10 posts in a row that was Nebraska Volleyball. And I think that's what she was referring to, which is sort of interesting. Um, I don't know what you all think about it, but it's sort of interesting. Uh, Obviously, Nebraska Volleyball comes with a huge fan base, so um, there's going to be a lot of posts about them. But it was really interesting um, that someone had brought that up. But it was like, I want to say it was like in the past like week or so, there was like 10, oh gosh, okay, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Out of like 15 posts, 12 of them were Nebraska. Um, but I think a lot of them were uh, collaborations with the Husker Volleyball page. So that makes a little bit more sense. But um can't say in that moment that I di- agree or disagree. Um, I think uh, the Big Ten Volleyball page is, first of all, amazing because I don't think any other conference has a dedicated conference page for their volleyball. So shout out to uh, the Big Ten Volleyball Instagram page and Emily Eamon does an amazing job at uh, showcasing uh, Big Ten Volleyball. So yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting because I, I didn't even really notice until I was looking at the feed. Um, and I also think Husker Volleyball stuff just comes up on people's feed because it has a lot of engagement because Nebraska has a big following. So that could also be it as well. I feel like I get a lot of Texas Volleyball stuff too because uh, they have a big following. But anyways, that is my one volley hot take this week. Um, but if you want your volleyball hot take to be featured, you can click the link. If you're listening on Spotify, you can click the link in the description to have your own voice uh, say your hot take on uh, the podcast and I will react to it. These are a lot more fun than me just reading it off uh, because it's, I try to bring a little bit of character to it, but it's, you know, that's that person's hot take. So they should be able to say it, you know, it brings a little bit more oomph, I guess. But um, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can also use the Google form that is at numberonevolleyball.com. Um, so yeah, Uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I will be back in two weeks. Alrighty, bye!